As the coronavirus pandemic develops, scientific analysis continues, and we are all grappling with the seemingly varying statistics. The statistics presented here are based on credible reporting, but are part of a developing picture and not intended as definitive. Follow the links in the video for corroboration and more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. Today is going to be a special report. We are talking to Alessandra Boki from Italy. She's going to be discussing what's going on there with the coronavirus and what the implications of this are, both in geopolitical terms and in national terms. That's coming right up. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, we're going to be dis- talking to somebody we, we, we've interviewed previously on this show. Uh, the last time we talked to Alessandra, we were taking a look at the Hong Kong protests, which she had witnessed in person and written about for First Things magazine. Alessandra is a freelance journalist. She's written in First Things. She's written in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the American Spectator. She does a lot of really great work. She She's in Italy right now where she's been reporting on an almost hourly basis on what's going on with the spread of the coronavirus. And we got in touch with her there to find out what's going on and what we can learn from what she's seeing. So just to start off, uh, where are you right now? I am in Rome at the moment. I am from Milan, Lombardy, where the crisis has had the largest impact. Um, I found myself in Rome when the epidemic started, so I couldn't go back. And even though I would have a permit, it would be irresponsible of me because we were all invited to stay in our places, you know, wherever we are, um, to not risk spreading the virus. So I'm stuck in Rome in a way. And I have family and friends in Milan who are telling me what the situation is like there. It's much worse than here, but it risks becoming the same here. So what are you hearing from your friends and your family uh, who are in the quarantine area? The whole country is in quarantine. It started just with Lombardy and uh, Veneto and Emilia-Romagna, which are the regions most affected in the north. So there were red zones where people were not allowed to go out, and those who... Uh, tested positive, couldn't see their loved ones. You know, they were leaving bags outside from a distance from their house, their their family members with food inside or even clothes. Like, they couldn't even come close to them. And it started that way. And then as the crisis and the epidemic worsened, then eventually the whole country went into lockdown. And so we are all in quarantine everywhere. Um, we still have rising cases because, you know, the effects of the measures we took are only there after, you can only see them after a few weeks. So what, a couple of questions on this. There's a lot of, of information flying around, and I think the amount of information from the number of different sources 
and also people's just fundamental distrust in, in media of one ideological stripe or the other, depending on uh, where they're coming from, has led a lot of people to not know what's going on because they're overwhelmed with the amount of information and don't know what to believe. So what is the situation in Italy at the moment? The situation is very difficult, and there is a way to avoid becoming uh, like we have, where we're in full lockdown and we can't even get out of our houses except for basic necessities, which means going to the pharmacy and going to the grocery store to buy food. That's it. And um, to avoid this scenario, but I fear that it's too late, too late in the U.S. now and you should go into lockdown as early as possible to avoid further uh, infections from taking place. Um, but we we reached this point now, and what I'm trying to tell other countries is that, you know, it's not just the U.S., but France and Germany, they had the our same number of cases, but they're already acting too late. Like, we started taking action with red zones and quarantines and regions and communes, about with what, when we had about a thousand cases. Right. And you have more than a thousand cases now in Spain and Germany and France. Many are not tested, so they're probably much higher than that. And the same in the U.S. And you don't have quarantines and you still have some public events and you still have institutions that are open. So your situation is actually could be much worse than ours. <laughs> we just don't know. Um, yet. I'm yeah. sorry to say. Yeah, but as far as the media goes, you should really listen to the experts who are talking about this. I know there's a lot of skepticism towards experts, but it, but when it comes to comes to medical experts, scientific experts, then you should listen to those opinions because they know what's best, and it's a it's, it's science. It's not something debatable. It's not something political, and it's a global pandemic which has been announced by the World Health Organization. So, you know, we didn't even know it was a pandemic when it started in our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the the things I, I find difficult to wrap my head around is you see a lot of people saying uh, the impact on people under the age of 60 is, is, is not that catastrophic, and so this is not that big of a deal. Um, I find this, uh, like, that perspective to be quite repulsive i have a lot of uh, um well elderly family members i have three three elderly grandparents my grandfather's 98 years old in in, in north america right now there's actually a trending hashtag um like calling this the like remove boomer virus talking basically saying that this isn't going to be such a bad thing that all the older generation uh dies off what has the impact of this been in italy on the older population so that's actually not true. 35% of the uh, people who are in intensive care right now in Italy, which means they're fighting for their lives, are below 65 years of age. Mm. And 8 out of 100 are between 18 years old and 49 years old. So it's not true that it doesn't affect the you know younger population, but as you said, it's quite, you know, an immoral argument to make in the first place, the idea that we should just not care about those who are 65 years of age or older and just let them die. Um, but even if, you know, even if you have that perspective of, oh, we're not willing to sacrifice our economy for the older population, but you're going to have your hospitals flooded with people who need assistance. 
So what do you do? You just let them die in their home by themselves or to give them the assistance and then you don't have place for other kinds of emergencies because you're not going to just have the coronavirus. Uh, the hospitals are there for all kinds of emergencies, you know, that people need. So the argument makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. One of the things I, I was I was wondering, because um, I know I, I've seen you, you're doing a lot of research on this, is what are some of the myths that are going around about about the coronavirus? As you said, there's a lot of skepticism towards experts uh, in the United States. There's a lot of people that are basically getting their information uh, from their preferred news source, but on both sides, each source has its own sort of partisan agenda and how this news gets presented. So what are some of the myths that you as sort of an, obje- in some ways, objective outside observer would like to debunk? Well, the idea, but this is just a, a popular myth, that it's uh, like the flu. It, we've heard this over and over again. Yes. Even the president of the United, the United States said that at the beginning. Now it, it seems like he's changed his mind, thank God. But it's not just like the flu. It's much more contagious, first of all. And second of all, it's, um, its impact is much more severe. This is not my opinion, but the ones of experts. And if you look at the data also, you can just see it. Um, so that's the biggest myth. The problem with this virus specifically is just how contagious it is. It can survive on a surface. I mean, it's a new virus, so there's still ongoing studies. But according to the most recent studies from China, it can survive on a surface for up to nine days, um, you know, out of an organism. That's a really long time. Or 28 days if it's under four degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, y- yeah, you can make that ca- calculation or, you know, people listening can, can look it up, but yeah. it, uh, it can survive a long time outside of an organism on a surface. So if somebody touches that surface and then touches their face or their eyes, um, it's just like that. It's that easy to spread, but it's not just through contact. Uh, like physical contact, it also survives in the air for about 10 to 30 minutes. So if somebody coughs on the street, it just, the particles can survive for that long. And it can travel uh, a distance of about four and a half meters. So it's a really powerful <laughs> virus, oh, extremely contagious. And that's how it got to Wuhan, China, which was quarantined now. And many countries across the world stop flights from China, and it still got here. So that you know, says it all. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because you're in Italy right now, is 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 not just what it's like in terms of policy and what the requirements are, but what is what is the mood like? Uh, what's it like to be in a country that's totally ground to a halt? Because this hasn't really happened uh, in our era. We're roughly the same age. We've never seen something like this happen before. So what is the experience like? What is What does it look like right now on the streets? Um, it's just really empty. I mean, I haven't, I try to go out as little as I can to respect rules because it's not just about you, but but it's that. Like, you don't know if you have the virus or not. The period of incubation is about two weeks. So that's why you need to stay at home. And actually in one China, they separated families because clemency to 80% of the infections uh, took place between families. So they had to, you know, separate them, which is considered a cruel policy, but it's just necessary if you want to contain the virus and save lives. So we've all 
you know, the mood is just all of us staying in our homes. We Skype, we call each other, and in a way, it has strengthened our strengthened our uh, national sense of solidarity. But it also worries a lot of us because we don't know what the consequences will be for our economy. Economy. Yeah, in response to this, and I noticed you wrote about this uh, for the Wall Street Journal, what has the reaction of churches been to this virus? Because there's a lot of discussions going on right now. Uh, so in the, in the Netherlands, for example, uh, I have a lot of friends there because my family is originally from the Netherlands. Um, they're, they've got uh, ministers that are, are preaching from uh, the pulpit to empty churches and everybody's phoning in and listening to the service that way and but not actually meeting in person. And there's a lot of discussion about um, taking the, the sort of the reasonable scientific approach of uh, let's not meet because large meetings are passing this virus around and this idea that, well, we want to meet in the house of God to pray for recovery, to pray for our nation. And you've got these two sort of uh, competing views that are happening at the same time. So what has the response of churches in Italy been like? And what do you think of this discussion? Well, as you said, I wrote an opinion piece about this on the Wall Street Journal where I explained how the church has been completely silent and that silence has been deafening now because the, as the crisis got worse, um, we've had less uh, even just comments or um, solidarity from the church in terms of statements or prayers or anything like that, let alone practical help. So that's been, uh, you know, something that we've had to come to terms with. In terms of letting people go to church, um, I disagree to the extent that if they don't have the protections that are necessary to not make the virus spread, then they will put more danger, more lives in danger. And, you know, life is sacred, so we have to do what we can to protect mm-hmm. it. And that's what the Christian religion teaches as well. Um, if priests believe that they should continue to have cold masses in the house of God, as you say, I mean, they should work with the authorities to have all the necessary protections that the other workers who have to stay outside, so people who work in pharmacies or grocery stores have. Um, but in terms of having crowds of people together. That's the easiest way to spread the virus. So when you look what's happening around you and, and one one of the, one of the difficult things to figure out here. So for example, I have to travel quite a bit for work. It's difficult in March to look ahead at your year and even figure out, well, what are we going to do next, right? I'm supposed to be in Europe a couple of times. I have no idea if I'll be going to Europe at all. A lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the major. I don't pro- think so. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of the major pro-life events, for example, like marches for life are like the first things to get canceled because, you know, the entire goal is to have thousands of people get together. Looking, looking at uh, so you're looking at the Italian situation specifically, but then you've mentioned that that a few countries are exactly where Italy was eight nine uh, days ago or two weeks ago. So, how do you see this thing playing out over the next couple of months, based on all the data that you've been gathering and analyzing? I'm not an economist, so I can't say what the repercussions will be in terms of our livelihoods. But I do see that obviously there are going to be uh, consequences to, you know, the, the quarantine and people not working anymore. 
we already have supply chains being disrupted. For example, the other day I went to the grocery store and I was looking for disinfectants. And of course, they were sold out. <laughs> it was right. 6 p.m. So I didn't expect them to be there. But I asked the cashier if they would be there the next morning. And she told me they've been sold. They've uh, not had them, not had any supplies for days because they all come from the, the region of Lombardy, which is the you know, economic powerhouse of the country, like Lombardy is the region that gives the most, um, with no returns. Uh, so it disrupts entire supply chains. And this is a big problem in a globalized world. What will, what will that mean? We already have governments trying to nationalize industries or to try to bring production back home because of this crisis. Mm-hmm. So some people have said that this will mean the end of globalization as we know it. And I think that will probably be the case. So that's an interesting theme that I was going to ask you about if you brought it up, because Ross Duvet wrote an interesting column in the New York Times, I believe, uh, last week, noting that it, it will be a, a disappointing irony if Donald Trump, the you know the the China hawk, ends up losing his presidency over over a virus that originated in China, but also because of our dependence on China for some of these medical supplies that that we might end up running exactly, out of. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, the the implications for for uh, what you described, which is, I believe, the EU has not been able to get a lot of supplies into Italy, but China's doing a lot of it. Is that correct? China has supposedly donated, but then there have been corrections saying that they, they're not donations, but they're um, they've been uh, bought by the Italian government, okay. and they're probably just lo- loans. Uh, but you know, it has come to Italy's rescue when Italy asked for help. The problem is, where was China when the uh, epidemic first started in Italy? Why didn't they release statements with warnings telling us what it would be like and what right. we should do? It's almost like they waited for the worst moment to come for us to have to ask them for help, for them to come to the rescue and then look at the saviors. Um, so that's the situation we're in. But unfortunately, a lot of politicians and a lot of the population sees China in a positive way now. And they see the EU and the U.S. as, you know, allies who really betrayed them in the moment of need. So you do a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of reporting and writing and analysis on, on, on issues like globalization. And I was wondering what your opinion was. Uh, on on what this tells us about our reliance on China, and then further to that, um, what your take is on how dangerous China can be? Because I, I'm of the same mind as you that 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 it looks like um, we're we're at least at at very least learning what the limits of of globalism and globalization are, and we're at very at the very minimum learning what the dangers of globalization are. But what are we learning about China as a rising superpower and what the, what the dangers or benefits of that are? Okay, so I think there are two questions there. In terms of globalization, I can give you just one example of a friend of mine who called me yesterday, and uh, he showed me that he is now living in the countryside and he has his own chickens and he has his own, like, you know, he has his own food that he, he grows like his vegetables that he grows by himself mm-hmm. and that he feels secure. And that's not how I feel living in a, in a major city right? where I have to go to the grocery store every day. So that's how so globalization is being put into question. Like literally people going from 
getting food from Israel or, you know, South America at the grocery store to getting, you know, eggs from their own chickens and their own farm. Right. Um, so globalization to extreme localism. As for the second question on the depend- dependence on China, it's, we're seeing the, the results of that. We didn't really ask ourselves, we didn't obviously foresee a, a pandemic like this, but now China is trying to turn, you know, its weakness into a source of strength and show it should be an example to the rest of the world and how to deal with the crisis. And we have to see yet what, what that will mean. So I guess, uh, one of the final questions I'll ask you, because I've been, I've been, I've interviewed a lot of different people uh, on this show. I know a lot of people. I've done a lot of research on this myself on the idea of localism as a response to a lot of these things. Do you think that that is a good thing or a bad thing in terms of, of, um, and nationalism is the wrong word in this instance. It's more, I think, self-reliance and, and extreme localism as yeah. you put it, that, that fits the bill. So like we can leave the, the, the nationalist word out of it with all of the baggage that it brings. Do you think it's a good thing for people to become more self-reliant and start to turn to themselves, but also their families and their neighbors to figure out how to best basically ensure that they can live through something like this and not have to worry about getting what they need from elsewhere? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're seeing, you know, the benefits of localism and we wish we had more localism right now. We wish we weren't relying on China for support for masks and equipment. And, um, and, and as the United States, I believe wishes now that it doesn't, didn't have to rely on China for it. I think it's 90% of its, um, pharmaceuticals are being produced in China. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. A very high number. So, you know, we are seeing what the negative aspects of globalization that we've always take, taken for granted are now that we're in crisis. And I believe it is a good thing because the more self-reliance we are, the more independent we are, but also because I think globalization has gone too far. I'm not a completely anti-modernist in the sense that we have made a lot of progress mm-hmm. in terms of scientific development and medical development. But, you know, we've become sort of atomized individuals where we rely on, you know, things that we have no idea where they come from and we have no idea that we're even dependent on on someone else. So I think it's, I guess this could be a positive outcome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Well, uh, I hope you and your loved ones uh, stay safe and healthy. Final question. Thank you. Is is uh, where can uh, where can our uh, listeners find your work? You write on a lot of different topics. I really enjoy uh, reading what you have to say, especially because I find a lot of your on the ground reporting to be very very interesting. So, where can our listeners find your work? Thank you. Um, you can find it on my social media pages. So on Twitter, it's at Alessa Baki A L E S S A B O C C H I, and then you can find from there my website. Um, and my Instagram where I also report on a lot of what is happening. So that's where you can find most of my work. Even the things that I write and publish in other papers you can find it on my website as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk uh, about all this stuff with us. Thank you for having me and stay safe. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with Alessandra Bocchi, who is in Rome right now reporting on what is going on with the coronavirus in Italy and what it means for those in North America and around the world. Thanks so much for tuning in for this special report. If you want to take a look uh, at other interviews we've done, head over to lifesitenews.com and click on the podcast tab. We're going to try to keep you updated with what's going on so you can also get out get other updates at lifesitenews.com news on life family culture and other updates of what's going on with the coronavirus around the world thanks so much for listening and we do hope you'll tune in again next week